One week ago, Zach Martin of Team America joined us to talk about rapid efforts to help our American Afghan allies evacuate what has been turning into a deadly scenario playing out in Afghanistan. Today, we pick that conversation up with Lieutenant Colonel Russell Worth Parker of Task Force Dunkirk, a group of former CIA agents and military members working back channels to help coordinate evacuations of their own. We keep our eyes on Afghanistan on this episode of Pick Up the Six podcast. Lieutenant Colonel Parker, welcome to Pick Up the Six. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely, man. And thank you for taking the time to join us and keep this conversation going. Uh, We got a ton of incredibly powerful feedback uh, from our listeners after having that conversation with Zach last week about what the folks at Team America were up to. And we've just kept an eye on this ever evolving scenario and situation as to kind of where we're at right now. And so what we're looking at for you guys is a group of veterans that essentially assemble this informal task force to help evacuate Afghan allies. And much like our friends at Team America, and perhaps folks are also similar uh, and familiar with what they've been doing over at Task Force Pineapple, which is another one that's gaining some recognition throughout this process. Mm -hmm. So take me back uh, a few weeks, or even if it's longer, as to how these groups kind of become and how this all tracks to where we're at with this rapid evacuation effort happening over the last few weeks. Okay. Happy to, Um, you know, if you had told me three or four weeks ago that I'd be sitting here discussing this, uh, I would have affirmatively told you I was not. I retired from the Marine Corps on June 30th of this year. Um, And about uh, six days later, hopped in an RV and drove around the country with my family. And I, I very studiously avoided news coming out of Afghanistan because I kind of picked up the winds of where it was going. But, you know, we knew it was going. It was inevitable. Right. This is going to happen. So I don't need to pay a whole lot of attention to it. I'm out of the game. Um, I got home from that trip on August 6th and again, kind of continued to to not pay a whole lot of attention. And frankly, I, I, I didn't expect things to happen with the rapidity with which they did. I mean, you know, Lashkar guy in Helmand province falls every two or three years. They just kind of trade it back and forth. Um, and so I didn't really put a whole lot of stock in the speed at which things were moving. And then suddenly they were. And on, I think it was August 16th, if I'm right, Kabul more or less fell to the Taliban. Um, whatever, you know, whether I get, got that date specifically right or mm-hmm. not, it was mm-hmm. a Sunday. And I got a message from a guy I know who is a, a former interpreter for Marines and Special Forces folks, um, came to America on an SIV visa, a special immigrant visa, um, got his citizenship and enlisted in the Marine Corps um, as, a, as a reservist. And so he's an infantry rifleman and he shot me a message and said, sir, you know, is there anything you can do? My family's in Kabul. My dad and my brother are in particular danger because of what they were doing. Um, is there anything you can do for us? And, and, and honestly, I didn't think there was a whole lot I could um, because, you know, I'm a retired guy in my bed on a Sunday night. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, I kind of tried to tell him, you know, something that would kind of buck him up for a minute and, hey, I'll do my best. Let me see what I can find out. And then the next day, uh, it became apparent that I did know some of the folks on the airfield. And then the MU was committed. And I I happened to have grown up with the MU commander. So that helped. Um, But uh, I I 
kind of, I was headed out of Western Carolina on a writing gig. Cause I'm a, that's what I do for a living now. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, my buddy that I was staying with has very limited connectivity because he lives on a cat in a cabin out on the top of a mountain. And I got out there and they're like, Hey, we got no electricity. You know, there's massive sheets of rain coming down. We're in the outer bands of a hurricane. Houses are floating down rivers in Western Carolina. Uh, Haywood County's got 30 yeah. people missing, right? Yeah, I'm not too far like, from there and, and saw quite a bit of that happen. Okay. Landslides and all that. It was wild. Yeah, I was, I was supposed to be fishing for rainbow trout. Not not mm-hmm. so much. But no. um, we, we just hung out. And then that night, the power came back on about 1130. And you can't make phone calls out of that house, but you can pick up internet significantly enough that you can text and such. So my phone starts dinging and I, I see a message from a Marine I had been chatting with at the airfield the day before. And it was basically hey, tell your boy, he's got an hour to get his people to the airport. Um, that was probably an hour and a half after he sent the message. So I thought, Oh God. Mm. So I called this Marine that I know. And then I called a separate Marine that I know who, was working on getting uh, another interpreter out. And I, was, I told them both, if you get there now, do the following thing, say the following thing to the right guy, uh, we can get them out, go. Uh, and that was an all night proposition. So about two thirty, three 3 o'clock in the morning, I finally got a text back uh, from, from Marine in Afghanistan and the Afghan Marine in America saying, you know, my parents are in, thank you, they're safe. Um, and they're out of the country now. So I woke up, you know, beautiful days, sun's dawning after days of, of rain. And I kind of thought we were all done here. Um, I've, I've done my good deed. I helped these Marines. We're good. Mm-hmm. And I was out there for about another 24 hours and then was driving back uh, to Eastern Carolina where I live and started calling all my buddies because I just needed to talk to somebody about it. A, another vet friend of mine who was actually on the airfield the last two weeks um, said to me, you know, when he called me that first weekend, he said, I feel emotionally paralyzed. And that was kind of where I was. It was just kind of like this dead feeling. So I had to call a bunch of other guys just to talk through it. And then we started in the nature of military and CIA guys. Uh, hey, what can we do? How do you know, we're not going to roll around in this and just just admire this problem. What can we do to affect this situation? Um, and by the time I got back to, to East Carolina, um, I was on the phone in a Zoom call with, you know, some prior special forces guys, another couple of Marines, an agency guy, um, all old old heads uh, who've been around for 20 or 30 years. And we started talking about who do we know? What can they do? What levers can we pull? How are we going to make this happen? We got to get our friends out. Mm. And and that kind of proceeded with us, you know, banging the gong on trying to get people out for another couple of days, working levers and avenues that we had. And then another Marine friend of mine turned journalist sent me a news story that he had written for Military Times, a guy named Jim Webb. Um, and Jim said, you know, hey, read this. Well, I didn't have time to read it because I was, you know, slammed trying to get people out. And I got a break in the action about 12 hours later, some midnight, one o'clock the next morning. I read this article in Military Times about this outfit, Team America. Um, and, the, and this cat, Joe Sabo, who was mm-hmm. working with them. So I called Jim and said, give me, give me this guy's number. I called Joe the next day. Here's who I am. Here's my bona fides, believe them or don't, but that's who I am. Um, and I got, a, uh, you know, I got five or six guys just like me. 
And, you know, this is what we've been doing for the last 24, 72 hours. And I was feeling pretty good about myself because, you know, we'd gotten, I don't know, four or five people out yeah, you know, yeah, in sure. our group. And Joe was like, that's great. That's awesome. Uh, we've got 150 volunteers. We've got a database of this, that, and the other thing. We've got, you know, we're, we're moving people out at the rabbit. Like, oh, and it was like no ego. And it wasn't yeah. shutting me down yeah. at all. It was just hey, this is what we're doing. And it's the difference, honestly, between a bunch of late 40s, early 50s guys and a bunch of mid-30s guys and gals who understand the internet in a way that that I don't because they were raised in it, not just attending it. That was the uh, one thing I, I, got, I gathered from talking to Zach and then also just from reading similar things that you did is that those guys really hunkered into leveraging technology. And we're not going to talk about the certain technologies that they use because some of that helps them throughout the process, but really were able to do it. But it seems like all of this begins to sort of unofficially coordinate, you know, even without you guys talking to each other yet, everybody yeah, has yeah, the well, idea, right? Like we got to work our channels, right? Well, we and that's we the have nature, the blessing right? of our channels, right. To be able to work. Right. That's the nature of, of the people that came together on this. Right. I mean, there's all, there's a digital Dunkirk group. I haven't even talked to those guys yet or gals. I mean, I don't even know. I know who they are, um, but they're doing great work. I know that because I've read a couple of the accounts on them. Pineapple, you know, sparked up a lot of the pineapple guys are, are guys that I've known over the mm -hmm. years. Yep. But when that first came out, I was like, I don't know who these people are. They don't know who we are. Turns out we all know each other from years back. Sure. But um, it, it was simply a matter of who's near you and who's most immediate in your network and what and we all want to start taking action slightly different avenues towards doing each of those because we've all got different life experience and different connection sets. But it really was about the ability for us when I talked to Joe the first time to leverage connections that we have as old guys, uh, older, maybe I should say, um, that they don't have, but they have energy skills and technical acumen that we don't have. Like, I, I don't know how to make a Zoom meeting happen. Um, and making Zoom meetings happen was a pretty critical skill mm -hmm. uh, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, of course, that's really fundamental relative to whatever the Team America folks were doing because, uh, you know, we old people can do it. But uh, when I when I started talking to Joe, I said, what do you need? What, what yeah. don't you have? Because I quickly realized they were rapidly outpacing us um, in, in breadth and skill and depth uh, and capability. And he said, well, we just, you know, we can't get aircraft and we don't know who to talk to in the government and we don't know how to reach out to any of these people that we need to. And I was like, okay, we got that, man. Like I'm one call away from a third, three star, four star generals. Uh, you need an a, a undersecretary. You need a, a senatorial staffer. Like mm -hmm. we got that. Um, and so we'll handle that for you. And we'll be kind of your older advisor guys about, okay, this is kind of how we see it. And this is what we've learned over a combined, I don't know, 150, 200 years of experience. Meanwhile, let us get out of your way and let you do what you know how to do, which is like, you know, that scene in Minority Report where they're moving stuff around on That's the screen. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's Team America. That's a great way um, to explain it. You know, and, and meanwhile, Task Force Dunkirk is, is Zoolander beating, uh, the words are in the machine. That's right. Um, you know, but. but you're the guy with, the, you're like the guy with the cigar. It's like, let's get him out of there. Exactly. <laughs> you know, there's a lot more to it, sir, than that. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and you know, that's the, the other thing. I mean, culturally right. speaking, uh, if I think about the core group of Dunkirk, we've got a, a CEO who did four years in the core. 
we've got a high ranking CIA paramilitary officer turned deputy assistant SecDef. We've got uh, a guy whose last gig was commanding a Marine Expeditionary Unit in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got me and we've got another guy who was the senior special ops advisor to the Afghan National Army um, and their special operations command. So we're guys that are used to saying, hey, make this happen. You know, we're not necessarily guys used to making things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and meanwhile, all of these young America, Team America folks are folks that got out at the four and eight year mark and started companies or became execs or operations managers or whatever they're doing. And they are people still very much in the prime of making things happen. So when you brought, when we brought those two things together and stripped any ego out, and I, yeah. I will give us yeah. old people some credit for that. We came out and we're like, Joe, we've no ego here. You have got a better organization. Let's subordinate us to you in a way. But we also have got probably a little more capability to coordinate actions. So as we started moving things together, because the ultimate goal was to support no one left behind, which was the only established 501c3 that predated all of this stuff, but that is, you know, exists to deal with these issues. Um, they've been moving special immigrant visa Iraqis and, and Afghans to America since 2014. Um so let's work in support of them, all our effort towards them. Um, but let's go ahead and figure out where our weaknesses and strengths are and where your weaknesses and strengths are. And let's play off each other. And it's it's worked wonderfully. Um, there's just been no no ego issues, you know, and honestly, there was no time for ego issues the past two weeks. But as a guy who's paid a little bit of attention to the veterans charity space that's developed since 2001, you know, I've said this a number of times now, there's 47,000 veterans charities registered in America. Uh, I would say approximately 40,000 of them do largely the same thing. Um, and so part of me has always said, uh, why don't we look at maximum, you know, Clausewitzian concepts of warfare, mm-hmm. mass, unity of command. Like if, if we all want to go trout fishing for PTSD, then let's figure out who's doing it the best. Pour the efforts in and, over there and do more of that. Absolutely, you yeah. know. Um, and you've kind of so. seen that come come into reality here with the way this thing has fallen into place, and maybe the timing and the speed of which you've had to react to the situation has kind of forced that to be the case, right? To identify like here's what we do well over here, here's what you guys are doing well. We don't have a lot of time to screw around. I mean, you get two weeks, man. You're talking 16 August, 31 August. Like that's a not a lot of time. Yeah, no, uh, exactly to get right. to get to get in your own way necessarily versus just like we got to go. Yeah, a hundred percent. And so uh, there was no time for ego. But had there been anybody with too much ego, they either would have had to sublimate it or get out of the way. Or just get out of the way. Um, you know, and and that it's been an interesting slash uh, I would borderline fascinating mm. experiment in cultural and social dynamics um, because you know. The, the core group of the task force Dunkirk guys are, are young, you know, they're vets, most of them young officers. We're all old officers. It could have been weird. Um, you know, you certainly see it sometimes in veterans organizations where the guy who was a general is still a general, except he's not. And every, I was in a, a Marine Corps league outfit or a Marine Corps vets outfit one time when years ago in, in Florida and all of the guys in the group had been together in Vietnam. And the two-star general who had retired, you know, the guy who retired as a two-star general had been the battalion commander. And everybody still sat around the table in the same positions they would have sat in as battalion staff. 
Yep. And this was just, Joe, what can we do for you? You, you, you guys, you know, Travis, um, Andrew, the guys we were dealing with at, at, and, and I really should, should note, um, I worked with the PR folks there. Um, just a, a phenomenal group of folks, mostly women, particularly uh, on two as a woman I work with and Kristen Clodfelter um, at Team America. And these are folks that don't have any military experience. They saw a problem and they wanted to be a part of, of the solution. On two is the children of Vietnamese immigrants um, that came in after the war. And so she's got a fascinating perspective on all this. Um, you know, and Kristen knows PR and public affairs. And so I, I, I took a lot of direction from her because uh, I kind of, because I'm a writer is, is yeah. why I got it. Yeah, no, it, it naturally makes sense for you. I yeah, might ask I, you I, offline, but now Kristen's not from Maryland, is she? I you have know? no idea. I, have no, I mean, all this happened so fast. Yeah, it all like, happened so fast. Hey, that, we're, that, we're that, name, that name rings a bell to me. Claude Felter family lost uh, a sailor on USS Cole. There's likely not okay. a family connection there, but it's not a name I hear every day. So it just pings in my ear when we think about that. And my good friend, Kirk Lippold, uh, who's actually going to join us next week to give some thoughts on the 20 year anniversary of 9-11. And we remember what happened on the Cole, uh, but a year before that. So a lot of activity, right, that happens in essentially a two week stretch. We don't need to relive every single day, but, but I mean, what is happening over those two weeks? We've seen some of it. We've heard some of it from talking to Zach, but from the seat you're sitting in, what's day-to-day looking like? So my day-to-day was very different from, uh, you know, a case manager at Team America, you know, or somebody working specifically talking to folks on the far end of the, 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 the phone line. Mm. Um, mine was beating down doors. Uh, primarily, um, and the example I've used for you know as a Marine is we were the breachers and and Task Force America is the assaulters, and so um, Joe would call me and say, "Hey, we got a problem at the gate. Who do you know? You know?" And there was there was one night I give you an example. I was laying in bed and we were trying you know I was trying to get four or five hours of sleep, but I was checking all the messages that, that before I I closed my eyes, which is uh, necessary and and never a good idea, um, and I. Realized that kind of they'd, they'd culminated. They were trying to get a, a significant group of folks through, like 62 or 83. Yep. I can't remember. I think it was 83 folks who were trying to get through the gate. Yep. And um, you know, Joe called, Joe texted me and says, is there anything you can do with this? We're, we're just hung up and we're talking to the Marines at the gate. And frankly, I can't remember what the obstacle to progress was. Um, but uh, I said, well, who are you talking to? Well, we're talking to this captain. You got his number? We, yeah, here's a cell. Give me a cell number. So I call this Marine in Afghanistan and he picks up and it's kind of like, uh, hello. Cause it's my, you know, us area code. Yeah. I said, Hey, this is Lieutenant Colonel Worth Parker. I'm a friend of your mute commanders. Here's my bona fides. You can ask him about it later. Meanwhile, understand you've got a crowd at the gate. We're trying to get through. Uh, I need you to get them through. And he, kind of turned to a, for a second and talked to a guy next to him. He's like, okay, Roger that. What do you need? So I kind of laid it out to him. I thought that was done, you know, and I've told this story before, I think somewhere else, but um, I went to sleep thinking it was taken care of. Cause I, I checked with Joe, like, Joe, you good. We're good. We busted this roadblock. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I, I did identify the fact that I'm retired, by the way, I did not sure, sure. act like I was still active duty. Um went to sleep, woke up four, four or five hours later. And I had some messages back from that captain that 
made it clear to me that he had had some questions and some difficulties in linking back up. And I just thought, Oh, you know, I've blown this. Like I blew the whole thing. This guy was willing to help us out. And I wasn't here to answer the mail when, when he asked me to. And I, I felt about two inches tall if mm-hmm. that. So I shot a message back to him. I was like, Hey Marine, thank you. Thank you for honoring, you know, the, the relationships that, that are the course uh, hallmark. Um, but I blew this. It's not your fault. It's mine. And I kind of was, you know, mopey, sad face. And then I got a text about 10 minutes later said, Hey, sir, don't worry about it. We went out and got him. Um, you know, and it was just, and I, I mean, I was laying in my bed at five 30 in the morning crying. Um, Cause I just was so overwhelmed a with, I mean, after 27 years, you get a little cynical about some things and, and maybe, you know, when I was 19 and, and I, I sang the Marine Sam at the top of my lungs, whenever it came on to being 48 and being like, all right, we've done this a few times Um, to have driven home for me, what it means to be a a United States Marine and and what you can ask of another person based solely on that title and that they'll give it to you. Um, That that was a little bit overwhelming, honestly, that, that particular morning, but that was my days and it was all day long. It was 20 hours a day, easy. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, figuring out what senatorial office we could call and apply pressure to figuring out who we know at the state, who do we know at the MU, what general do we know that can call this former deputy, whatever, um, and make it happen. And sometimes it was just calling those older folks that are they're senior to me to say, how would you approach this? Or am I doing the right thing right now? Um, and I, I had to, I, something towards the end, you know, it was really getting, kind of extreme um the last few days mm-hmm. they were really just trying to get as many people out of afghanistan as possible and and i, I took some measures to apply some significant pressure and i, I called a, a mentor of mine and they were not things i ever would have or could have done in uniform but as a private citizen i, I was able to and in his words to me was like one you did exactly the right thing he said you can sit in front of congress and defend that action all day long um, and I, that having somebody to reach out to, um, that you respect and you admire, and that could kind of affirm to you that you did the right thing, um, for the right reasons matters, especially mm-hmm. in, under duress. I mean, one of the guys that's on Dunkirk with me, one of the, the core members was my CO at that second force recon company. So we've got history going all the way back to Iraq in 2004 and five. And, you know, his, chief role for me probably was just being a voice on the other end of the radio when things were weird. Um, and I needed to hear somebody just being calm. Um, so we're still doing that for each other 17 years later. Yeah. No kidding. All right. We're going to talk about where we're at today, by the way, uh, retirement off to an excellent start for you here as you roll out. Right? And roll Guess out. when I thought I was out, they sucked me back in. Pull you back in. But there is a valuable lesson in that and our listeners. I know appreciate it. Talk to me a little bit about, because I want to lean in on this a little bit. I, I I understand on the surface, the ability to pour every resource we can into ensuring every American leaves. Why has it been so important for you and your buddies to ensure that those Afghans have been able to get out of there as well? Specifically those who have been such a big part of our lives for the last 20 years. Well, I mean, that, that's it right there. They've been such a, a huge part of, of our lives for the last 20 years. I mean, uh, if you are a professional military member and have been 
pardon me, since 2001 or before. You know, chances are you did at least one rotation through Afghanistan and probably multiple. Frankly, I feel like a slacker with only two Afghan deployments. I, I have a friend um, who commands a special forces group, and I believe he was in Afghanistan every year for 13 straight years. Wow. Um, you know, Afghanistan or Iraq, but pro- primarily Afghanistan. Um, and I, I, that guy is a war dog. Um, and he's a great human being and he's a phenomenal American. Um, but he has been there for, for 13 or 14 straight years. Um, landed there as a ranger in early 2002. And he was a enlisted special forces guy before that. And they went back to special forces and, and basically took up residence in Afghanistan. So you build huge relationships there, right? I mean, just deployment after deployment. And I, I had one guy who I worked with very closely in 2010. I went back in 13, 14 and, and saw him again and knew then I would never, like he's not a guy we're going to get out. Like There's no basis for him to come here. Um, and, and I think about that guy all the time. because He was just an amazing dude. Like he would have been a great neighbor. He's a great human. Um, mm-hmm. He was a guy that I'd love to see. And it's it just like, he was a friend, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and I, I think about what that guy's life's going to be like now. Um, and it's going to be bad. It might be short, ugly, and brutal. Um, I don't know, but there's nothing I can do for him. Um, but what I can do is maybe do something for some of his proxies. And, and a lot of these people, um, because I think sometimes that gets lost. Like somehow we, we turn, whether they're Afghans or they're this or they're Terps or, or whatever they, these human beings, um, were people who served alongside us. And there's some factors there, you know, I did what on my fitness report says three combat deployments. Um, if you're by my standards, I did one combat deployment and two deployments to combat zones. And I didn't get shot a whole lot, a shot at a whole lot in Afghanistan, you know, occasional rocket here or there. Um, these interpreters who spent years at the tactical level um, stayed in the fight after we left. We just handed them off to another unit like a piece of gear and they went right back into the fight. So when I hear people and I'm starting to hear it already uh, question whether these people should be here, particularly the, the interpreters or the Afghan National Army special ops guys, the commandos and the special mm-hmm. forces or some of the other partner units that we, we built over 20 years. Um, guys who honestly looked and smelled and talked like us and dressed like, I mean, if you saw them in the dark, you don't know the difference. Um, you see a bunch of Afghan special ops guys and they look like a bunch of American you know, baseball hats and unbloused boots and they, they look like us. Um, and when I, I hear the rumblings of people saying we shouldn't be bringing these people here. I, I kind of go, Hey man, first off, were you ever there? Because if you were there, never there, I have zero interest in your opinion uh, mm-hmm. on whether these folks are going to be good Americans. Um, secondly, if you were there, you, you probably know the deal already, but you know, that's unfair. I recognize. I mean, it's not like you had to go to Afghanistan to have an opinion about issues that affect Americans. But you don't have any grounding to understand what these people did. 
And I think particularly about that guy that called me that one Sunday night, that guy who's now a United States Marine infantry rifleman. Um, and the fact that he got shot twice before he ever joined the Marine Corps. Um, the fact that he was in combat for seven years before he ever went to Paris Island, South Carolina. Um, and then that there would then be Americans who haven't given any of that, who would have an issue with him being here as an American. Um, it, it, it defies description to me. It, it, it sends me through the roof yep. with anger. And I just think right now there's a certain um, nativist instinct we see in, in some sectors of America. Uh, and, and I got a problem with it. Um, you know, I filled out a survey today and it was clearly a survey that it, it had a certain political agenda and I'm not going to deny that, but it, it asked like, what is your, I don't know, state of origin or whatever. And it was like, are you native American? Are you a first generation immigrant? Are you second generation immigrant? It went all the way down to like fifth generation. I, I'm probably like sixth or seventh generation immigrant, right? By that, that standard, my folks came over here, I don't know, 1700s, 1800s. Landed here in the Cape Fear region and moved west and ended up in Georgia. Um, okay, so what? That's an accident of birth, right? I could have been born anywhere. You know, a little piece of stardust lands in India, and I'm doing something entirely different than I'm doing right now in a different way. And so I think people lose sight of what a blessing it is to just be born here. Mm. Um, and, and so that's why we're so tight with these people. We're so tight with these people because they stood shoulder to shoulder with us in firefights. Um, and, and I go all the way back to Iraq and I think about those interpreters, like those guys, I remember one of them, he got, the, well, I was with force recon then he got the force recon symbol tattooed on his arm. And I was like, dude, that was a bad, bad <laughs> idea. Like, you can't go back to Baghdad to visit the mom and dad. now. No, it's out there now, you know? And, uh, and I think of our the first turp we had when we got there, who, like I said, got issued to us kind of like a piece of gear from the preceding mm-hmm. unit. They're like, this guy's awesome. He's 100% on our team. You know, we love him, et cetera. And he was he was a tough dude. Um, he took a vacation, and, and he came back to us in a bag, mm. um, cut up into multiple pieces and, and dropped on the front step of the fob. So I don't think Americans really can understand that kind of risk because we just don't live that way. Yeah. Um, and, and again, there's, there's part of my issue, like people that are decrying the arrival of these folks who have literally no concept that right now, while we're doing this podcast, there are people on the run in Afghanistan and they are living minute by minute. And they're, you know, they're, they're being tracked. They're being searched. They're the house they were just in is getting searched by the Taliban. Um, and nobody here has that experience. I'm glad you're willing. Yeah, I'm glad you're willing to lean in on that. And I and I asked you that knowing we'd we'd end up down that road a little bit, right? Because I think it just provides incredible perspective as to where we're at, right? Where this thing is at, and what reality is like, what reality really is like over there. And maybe we should take a moment in this moment to take a step back from everything that's got us so uh, polarized to take a look at, like, yeah, but you know what? You still go home. Nobody's bugging you as you walk into your house. Nobody's waiting for you at the front door of your house to check to see who you are if you belong there. Mm-hmm. That's a reality for a lot of people. Uh, and what I also think is lost in some of this, and I've seen a narrative built around this, is well, then all the Afghan army guys just turned over, laid over, 
right? And just just lay down and let Taliban come in. Uh, and I think lost in that is just the incredible partnerships and work and friendships that have developed over the years. And I wanted you to to share a little bit about that. So I'm thankful that you did. Yeah, I mean, and, and when uh, there's a lot that will be said and can be said about the performance of the Afghan National Army in the last two or three weeks of its existence. Um, there's a lot that can and will be said about our failures uh, in understanding how to build that army. And I, I just had lunch with a, a retired Marine buddy of mine. And I said, look, man, like any way you slice it, all the excuses on the table, all the con, you know various conflicting inputs, et cetera, and they're all valid, mm -hmm. right? We did have mission creep. We did have this, that, and the other thing. Like it's all valid. Bring out this standard list. But we failed our mission. Our mission was to build an army that could sustain uh, you know, a nation. And obviously we didn't. So let, let's own our piece of that because it's the only way we're going to get better going forward. Mm -hmm. um, that's not to excuse the ANA. That's, you know, I mean, there was a good uh, article by the former chief of staff of the, of the army um, in Afghanistan in the Washington Post over the weekend. And he was kind of laying out, here's all the problems with our culture that contributed to the complete collapse of the Afghan National Army. Um, but we bear some culpability for that. And I'm a big one because I learned early on in my Marine career because I used to have a lot of excuses when I was a young man. Mm -hmm. um, and anytime somebody asked me, hey, what's your excuse? I, I didn't know the answer was there is no excuse. I'll do better. My answer was to start explaining it because I was raised you know, with a bunch of lawyers. Um, and, uh, and so I don't make excuses anymore. Yeah. Like I own it when I screw up. And uh, and I think we're going to need to take a long, hard look at ourselves from a national perspective, from a DOD perspective. You just talked about the polarization, which I think is one of the biggest threats to this mm -hmm. nation right now. Um, we need to look at ourselves as a citizenry um, because I'll turn some of this back and say, you know, the citizenry failed. Um, the citizenry failed by being disengaged from the fact that we've had a war for two decades you know, and if you didn't call your legislator or write your legislators and express your thoughts on policy sometime in the last 20 years, I'm not real interested in your thoughts now. Thank you very much. Um, because you, you you're a Johnny come lately. You're just hopping on the issue of the day and you're just another American who will be next week. It'll be whatever, you know, Kim Kardashian war. Um, and so if you're but if you were engaged thank you and I, and I don't care what your position is i've had a couple of high school friends who have reached out to me in the last couple of years to ask me questions about foreign policy or about the military or is what i'm seeing on this or that cable news channel is that how should i receive that yeah and i and then they'll always say i hope you don't mind me asking these questions i'm like god i mind you not asking me these questions i i don't have time to not answer your question Mm -hmm. um, you know, because everything I've done in the last 27 years of my life has been done in the name of the American taxpayer. And for the taxpayers who have abdicated that right and responsibility, um, they need to think real long and hard about where we've gotten and what they've contributed to get us there. Man, great point. That's real talk, guys. Real talk about what the the state of things looks like. All right, where do we sit today? I mean, because there was all this rapid movement. We had this deadline that's come and gone. We're a day past it, September the 1st, as we record. So what's what's the current situation? Where are we at? What are you guys up to? So we're in, in multiple times a day conversation with the uh, Team America folks um, about how we can best continue the efforts of what we've built here. 
Um, I think Dunkirk, and this is me spitballing, this decision is not made, um, but I think Dunkirk probably folds into Team America in some sense uh, in like a senior advisory board. Um, you know, I've, I've said a number of times, I'm not looking for a full-time job or a part-time job, but I'm absolutely looking for something where I can use my skills mm-hmm. as a writer, as an advocate, as a you know licensed attorney, although I don't, I haven't ever practiced. Um, let me use all those skills to support the team America mission at a, in a policy sense. Um, you need me to beat the drum with politicians. I'm all about it. You need me to write editorials. I'm all about it. For that matter, you need me to drive up to camp Upshur at, at Quantico Marine base and help new immigrants get settled. Mm-hmm. I'm all about it. Um, the American people have been incredibly generous to me um, for 27 years. And, and frankly, that continues through uh, a pension and a disability that uh, pays me more than any six people in you know, or, or like the average family of three in New Hanover County lives on about half of what I make for waking up in the morning as a, as a retired Marine. Um, I recognize that disconnect. And I recognize that that offers me a capability and an obligation to my fellow citizens. And, and some of these folks are future Americans uh, coming through those camps. They're going to be in those camps for 30 days, getting integrated to American society, being taught how we do things here, um, whatever it takes. I'm committed to that. And Team America, we all thought both these things would fold. Um, you know, we're just going to do this until the 31st and then we'll shut down operations and good luck. Um, there was clearly, especially frankly, I think amongst the civilian element of team America who just experienced the closest thing they've ever had to a combat deployment. Mm -hmm. Um, their response was kind of like my first real combat deployment. I kind of want more of that. Yeah. Um, we can't stop now. Right. Like I know the 31st is here, but like, there's gotta be more we can do. Yeah, I mean, there's a certain juice that comes with it for one thing. I mean, you're just, you're running on pure adrenaline. You're running on commitment. We know every minute of your life matters while you're doing this. You're literally trying to save lives. It is an amazing feeling. Um, and so I I actually got a friend of mine who's a a psychologist at army special ops command used to be Mm -hmm. a Marine special ops command. And I was like, Hey man, can you give them the reintegration talk? And explain to them they're basically coming back from a deployment, um, and and we really need them to understand that before they you know start quitting their day job and in, in order to become full time Team America. Um, but there that's are some point. of them yep. that that's the impetus that they have. It, it means that much to them, and so I think Team America will go on. Um, I think we will subsume ourselves as Dunkirk, and you know Dunkirk, if the name helps in cat in fundraising or something down the road, great, but. But really and truly, I think we've become a part of them because they're a faster, stronger, better organization, um, more meaningful organization that has accomplished more on the ground. Um, and why mess with that? Uh, but I guess the message I would send to both my fellow citizens and, and any Afghans who might happen to hear this, you know, we are not we didn't forget you on August 31st. I'm still talking to people. I'm still getting messages out of the country. We're still figuring out what can we do to best morally, legally and ethically meet the obligation that our government established when it said, if you do these things for us in a combat zone, you will be eligible for this, which is the special immigrant visa. No one left behind and which is no one left.org has been working this for seven years. The, the SIV process. I mean, it's no secret when I say it's been broken for years and years 
which is part of what put us where we are now. Um, part of why all these civilian pop-up entities happened. Um, that that process has got to get improved because there are still us. Uh, I'm not going to say how many for, for security reasons, but I will tell you it is a mind-boggling amount of folks with the special immigrant visas, either applications in hand or completed approved visas mm-hmm. who are stuck in Afghanistan right now. Um, I know that. And, and, and that I'm should careful. bug all of you when you hear that. Yeah, that should bother you. That should make you very uncomfortable to think about. We said, if you do these things during combat, during this effort, you will be granted these liberties, right? That we probably take for granted here right now. It's the feeling I'm getting. Entirely. Right? Just take it for granted. And it goes back to kind of what I was saying about people's obligation as citizens of this country. Like if you went down to the car dealer and you said, I want all these options on the car. And they say, okay, cool. If you give us $39,999, we'll give you a car with all those options. And then instead they delivered like some broken down Yugo mm-hmm. and said, here's what you got. We would lose our collective minds, right? We'd be at the first billboard lawyer we could find. We're going to sue you. We're going on YouTube. I'm on a podcast to talk about how hard they are. Google review, everything else. Human beings in Afghanistan who went to combat alongside U.S. forces. Eh, good luck. Yeah, um, and I'm being blithe. I mean, I, I know I know and love and admire a ton of people at the U.S. Department of State. But we are where we are, you know, and that's like one plus one equals two. It always does. And right now, one plus one equals two. Those people are sitting somewhere that is dangerous to their continued existence on this earth. And we made promises to them. And at least some of us are damn well going to keep them. Um, And and that ought to be the the feeling of every citizen. You know, I kind of laid into the citizenry a minute ago and said, you've abdicated your responsibility in some cases for the last 20 years. That's obviously not everyone, but it's enough. It's the old America, or, you know, we went to war and America went to the mall. Um, well, now's your time. And all you got to do is write a letter, write a letter to your legislator and say, I, I want these people as my neighbors. I want to know why these people that we made promises to, that you made promises to in my name, right? Because uh, I think that gets missed sometimes by mm-hmm. folks. Mm-hmm. Um, that the legislators work for us and they do the things that we ask of them and tell them to do, but also uh, they make commitments on our behalf. And so it's time for us all to sign that check. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, that website that you mentioned too is no one left.org. That's right. That'd be the, the place where we can. Yeah, yeah that'd no be a great place to send them, right? right? Yeah, but but no one left.org is the 501c3 that is dedic- has been and is dedicated to getting special immigrant visa folks out. I will tell you, I personally, and a lot of the people that I'm working with, because most of us are special operators or agency types, um, feel an obligation to the Anasov commandos, to the Afghan National Army Special Ops Forces, special forces who were modeled on the U.S. Army Green Berets, mm-hmm. um, and then to any other number of, of strike forces and, and counter-terror forces that really, really took the fight to Al-Qaeda, really, really took the fight to the Taliban um, and and became our our very, very good friends in the process. I mean, these are people that we love. I mean, I, I can't I've lost track of the number of guys I've talked to who are like, man, I 
you know, I'm, I'm talking to my guy in country right now and I don't know what to do for him. You know, these are tough guys. These are guys have been at war for 15 yeah. or 20 years, 15 deployments, 13 deployments. And they're like, man, I, I'm just crying all the time. Cause I, we're used to having an answer. And now we have this very, very wicked problem and it's gotten more wicked, but we're not going to stop trying to solve it. Yeah. Not going to stop trying to solve, which I think is an important point, right? It doesn't just end here. There's still work to be done. I'd encourage you guys to go check that out. No one left.org. Look, pick up a pen, write a letter, make a phone call. And exact what, uh, what Russ just said, put the pressure back on them. We made a promise. Our country made a promise. You made it on, on behalf of my name as the American taxpayer, right? To these people that we would provide them these assurances. Let's make good on that. Brother, any final thoughts before we go? Um, no, I just, I really appreciate you giving me a, a chance to, to give voice to this stuff. This is not a fight that's going to be over in the next week. This is not a success we're going to have the week after that. Um, it's something that is going to require us to get in and just, I mean, start swinging an axe at a tree. And we're going to be chopping and chopping and chopping until it comes down. Um, and, and there are a lot of good people doing this. There's been a ton of great Americans who have reached out to me and said, I don't know anything about this but I'm here to help. What do you need me to do? And so as much as I, I laid into folks a minute ago, I also want to acknowledge there is a beauty to being an American citizen. There is a beauty to our national spirit. We step up when there is a crisis. We help people. You know, you drive your truck in a ditch. I'm pulling you out. Your, your husband dies. I'm bringing you a casserole. Mm -hmm. um, well, here we go. These people yeah. are human beings just like us. And that's the kind of thing I kind of want to drive home. They're different. They got different customs and cultures. I, I committed plenty of cultural faux pas when I was in Afghanistan um, out of ignorance, and it just was what it was. They're going to do the same thing. Be patient with them. Extend grace. So much of America, right? And we've lost the, the notion of extending grace to someone and saying, I did not like what you did, but you know what? I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, and let's yeah. at least talk about it. Totally. Um, now everyone's the enemy, and, and I don't have enemies. I mean – I'm out of the enemy business. Uh, ISIS, al-Qaeda people. Yeah. Sure. But, sure. But by and large. Um, fellow countrymen, my, right? Come on, yeah, guys. My, my new thing is let's sit down and talk about this. Like, I may have a skeevy reaction to you, but that's probably exactly when I need to close the gap and shake your hand and find out what's motivating you. Absolutely. Um, so anyway, there you go, man. All you got to do is make friends, right? That's right. No, I love it. Thank you so much for taking the time and doing this. Hey, I really appreciate you again. And if there's anything ever I can do for you, just give me a heads up. This is Lieutenant Colonel Russell Worth Parker. Sir, congratulations on retirement. Way to keep kicking ass in these first few weeks afterwards. We know you have more to come. I'm Brian Jodis. This has been Pick Up the Six Podcast. Appreciate you.